You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Thriller Dome in Atlanta, where the high-flying Tar Heels of North Carolina will pay a visit to Georgia Tech. In the glow of the aftermath in a battle fought to determine national supremacy Thursday against top-ranked Duke, North Carolina proved, at least for now, their number one. Antoine Jamison showed why he's the top candidate for the Naismith Award. And when Jamison wasn't dissecting the usually tight Blue Devil defense, junior Vince Carter was finding his mark inside. Thursday's thriller is over, so today against Georgia Tech, they'll have to fight off a natural letdown. The Tar Heels' victory Thursday was a confidence builder, but an ACC loss in Atlanta today would surely tarnish that brilliance. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. What is good, everybody? Episode 12 of The Throwback here on Inside Carolina, InsideCarolina.com. I'm your host, Joey Powell. Along with me tonight is probably the A squad. I will bring them in and introduce <laughs> them very soon. Uh, but you know what the show is all about. We're about nostalgia. We're about, you know, reveling in the good feeling of past Carolina games. Hey, we actually did a loss, uh, a game that Carolina lost recently. So you can't say that we're all just about, uh, we're all just about wins and, and chasing the W's, but we do appreciate the nostalgia in being a fan and kind of having a chance to, to look back at some of the more important and impactful games in Carolina sports history. And before we get rolling, uh, I want to do some housekeeping want to thank everybody so far for listening. If you have not yet, please hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get all of Inside Carolina's content sent directly to your phone or iPad or however you consume us. Um, make sure you take a chance to rate and review us. That gives us a chance to bump up to the top of the algorithm that both iTunes and Google Play, and I don't know how Spotify does it, but either way, give us that rate, give us that review, gives us a little better exposure for advertisers. Um, Matter of fact, I'll throw out to I'll throw out to one of our panel guests uh, in a few minutes to talk about an advertiser too. But mm-hmm. do that for us, guys. Like we're trying to put together a good program, we want to do good stuff for y'all. So just let us know how we're doing. Give us that good review. If we're not doing good, um, don't blame me. Um, well, actually, yeah, blame me. But make sure we know about it, right? Give a heads up to Buck or Tommy or Ben or whomever and let us know what we can be doing better because we want to make sure that we are helping out all of our subscribers and the folks that that are expecting high-level performance and high-level content from Inside Carolina. With all that said, what are we talking about today here on episode 12? Well, thanks to the good folks at Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Hit them up. Um, Nike stuff. was just talking with one of our panel guests about uh, his – I'm, I'm assuming he's got a swoosh tattooed on his on his femur at some point, but uh, his love for all things Nike. But Johnny T is a great place to hit up to get Nike stuff, to get any UNC stuff, to get any kind of gear that you want, tailgating stuff, anything to decorate your office, whatever. Take care of Johnny T-Shirt. They've been taking care of us for a long time, johnnytshirt.com. But thanks to Johnny T-Shirt, today we're going to talk about the 1998 
UNC basketball game in Atlanta against Georgia Tech. All right, right now you're thinking, okay, that's not a big game. That wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a title game. Georgia Tech wasn't any good. Slow your roll. This game was absolutely full of highlights. Uh, it was chock full of talent. It was chock full of marquee players. It was absolutely everything you would probably want in a throwback episode. So let's kind of set the stage for you, as I often do when we get rolling on these podcasts. February the 8th, 1998. What's going on in the world of Carolina basketball at this point in time? They had just come off of an absolute shellacking of the then number one Duke Blue Devils in the Smith Center. Um, just so much to know about that game that this was the game right after it. And that'll come into play a little bit later when we start talking to our panelists and start breaking down the game. But UNC was never ranked below number four this season. They were coming in at 23-1. and one. Their only loss coming to a Maryland team a couple weeks prior that, you know, maybe they probably could have won, just didn't put it all together. But 23-1, and one, I'll get to the starting lineups in a second, but they had just beaten Duke the prior Thursday. This is a game on a Sunday, the same day as the ACC, uh, the, ACC the NBA All-Star game. Uh, it's one of the reasons I remember this game so, so eloquently. Um, they were coming off of seven straight wins. This roster had five NBA players on it. Uh, those guys, you probably remember a uh, dude named Jameson Carter. Uh, Ed Cota was in there. A couple of decent guys on this roster. Georgia Tech, on the flip side, not as good. Had some talent. Uh, wasn't one of Bobby Crimmins' best squads, but they were 14-9. and nine. Um, The only win they had had thus far in the season was uh, against a – 20-ish ranked Louisville team back in November. Uh, they had scratched the top 25 then and then fell back out and had gone four and six in their last 10 leading up to this game against, against UNC. Um, they had lost also prior a month prior, exactly a month prior on January the 8th in Chapel Hill to the Tar Heels by 21. Wasn't even a close game. Um, I mean, Georgia Tech was top 50 in points per game, but they were just blah everywhere else. A very meh team and when you watch the game back when we watched it back, Jay, Jay Billis was saying, well, this team's going to be a, an NCAA tournament team. I don't know what he was getting that from other than just hyping them because of the game. But uh, this team specifically, the 97-98 group of Tar Heels, has often been called one of the best, if not the best, to never win a title. A um, lot going on here. Uh, you know, ESPN2 is still kind of a new thing. You'll see when you rewatch it, their graphics were kind of stupid. Um, <laughs> the little pregame highlight that they did with like the sepia tones or whatever was just hot garbage. Um, North Carolina starting Shaman Williams, remember that name? Ed Cota, Mactar Jai, Vince Carter, and Anton Jameson. George Tech, however, counters with uh, Dion Glover, Travis Spivey, Matt Harpering, Michael Maddox, and a freshman Alvin Jones. All right. Referees for the game because you care. Rick Hartzell, Mike Wood, and Zelton Steed. Going back to the question that you asked earlier, guys, why are we watching this game? This game had marquee players. It had highlights. It had points on points on points. It had two sessions of extra basketball. I don't want to say free basketball because it's all free if you're watching it on TV. But now I want to bring in the panelists that I mentioned earlier, the A squad of Carolina podcasting. Uh, first, Relly Max, Sherell McMillan. How you doing, buddy? I'm great, ready to talk about this game. I learned a lot that I thought I knew, but I guess I had forgotten. 
Well, I'm glad I could facilitate such. <laughs> and also joining us, uh, a guy that I want to give a shout out to because he's been so instrumental in helping get this podcast up and running this year, mostly behind the scenes, but you probably hear him on a lot of other Inside Carolina shows, John Siegley. Captain Robot, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> doing well, doing well. It was Boy Robot because if boy you're watching robot. on YouTube, uh, I do look like I am just graduating from probably high school. But, hey, uh, yeah. Don't fight that. As boyish good looks will take you far in life. I wouldn't know, but I've heard such. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, <laughs> so now that I've got you guys officially on board, we talked about um, we talked about a little sponsor, a sponsor-ish earlier. And I hear that that – Rail's up on a new package, and John Siegley is also waiting on a new a new connect. Rail, you want to mm-hmm. talk about that a little bit? Yeah, come on, Rail. Let's go. Oh, well, I, I would just say to everyone, we have great sponsors here in South Carolina. And just imagine, so, you know, the NCAA to announce, or the ACC announced uh, 10 plus 1 schedule. North Carolina's going to have some great home games. If you're not able to go, imagine yourself at home in your Jordan brand jersey. We ain't going to be able to go. In, yeah, so imagine yourself in your Jordan brand jersey in your of course. Nike shorts and your Jordan shoes from Carolina with Johnny your t-shirt. Nike socks from Nike socks from Johnny T-shirt. Imagine sitting in your living room and having some delicious crab delivered from Baltimore and Jimmy mm-hmm. Seafood. You know, I, I can't think of uh, a, anyone who has two great sponsors like we do. Crab and Nike, what more do you need? Yeah, I mean, Johnny yep. T-shirt and Jimmy's famous. And now apparently uh, – Johnny Siegs is getting into the game, so you've got it. You've, yep. You're waiting on a package too. Yep, I took advantage of some free shipping that they were offering. That Sherelle was basically jumping up and down on social media about. <laughs> so I will be trying these famous crab cakes, which look like they're the size of my head, basically from the photos online. So that's coming in this week on Friday. And shout out, I think Vipless was the first one that got to talk about uh, Jimmy's famous and just everyone else in South Carolina has talked about how good that stuff is. So looking forward to it. All right. So you guys heard it here first, go ahead and get your re up, uh, you know, get in touch with, with the folks in Baltimore. I don't even know if Jimmy's is East Baltimore or West Baltimore, but look, some of the Baltimore people have a new package that you guys need to get up on. If you haven't picked up the lingo I'm dropping, you need to watch the wire. And I'm surprised that you're listening to the show and have yet to watch the wire, but all that, We've digressed. We've given shout out to our sponsors. Let's talk about the game. Shrell, I go to you first. What was your memory of this ball game before we had our throwback viewing? Uh, Before it was uh, the deflection. I think Vince Carter had in overtime uh, went off. It looked like it went off his foot, but maybe it was the shin. uh, (laughs) And he outraced Matt Harpering, who ended up playing 50 minutes in that game, which I I didn't realize at the time. Caught the ball uh, and dunked it, you know, easy dunk got everybody excited so that was the first thing that came to mind as far as an actual play um the stat book came to mind as far as that's the first thing i think of is just how huge that box score looked and, and yes. some of the numbers put up yes. that's the first thing but the first play is, is that Vince carter play Harpring trying to penetrate looked like that ball was kicked Harpring tries to pick it off carter gets it instead and scores vince carter are you kidding me Beats Harpering down the floor and is able to knock that ball away and still have the athletic ability and the presence to get it up and jam it. Georgia Tech did not get a shot on that possession. That was partially blocked. Great defense by Carter. And Harpering then commits a foul as he runs into Shimon Williams from behind. What a turnaround here. 
North Carolina just seems to make the plays when it has to. We talked about that last possession being so big. And Vince Carter able to knock the ball the other way, just went right off his leg. And look at the hustle here. It's not like Matt Harper isn't going after the ball. That is called a finish in any league. We'll visit the box score later, but, you know, that, that was one of a smorgasbord of highlights since we've been talking about food. A smorgasbord of highlights that this game would provide for us. John. I know you've got a rather unique memory of, mm -hmm. uh, of this game before the throwback viewing. What do you got for us? Yeah, so I was actually at this game, believe it or not. Uh, I was, would have been probably 11 years old, and this is the first Carolina basketball game I ever attended live because I grew up in this small town called Murphy, North Carolina, which if you don't know about Murphy, it is the furthest town west <laughs> in the state. That's incorporated. There's some other towns that are smaller, but – they yeah it is in the middle of nowhere it's like like and, right there oh yeah <laughs> like right, right, right there that's, it's that's, 10 that's minutes where you're from. from from tennessee and 10 minutes from georgia basically and growing up we did not make it to chapel hill hardly ever and this atlanta was like an hour 45 away as opposed to chapel hill which is about five and a half or six hours away so my dad this was kind of his one thing we he saved up money we go down there and this was the first ever game and my first memory of this game is actually that we get there and my dad had not bought tickets ahead of time. We bought them off a scalper and they were fake tickets. Dude. Uh, so he blew the entire budget right there <laughs> and we tried to get inside and they were fake tickets. I, he basically, we were distraught and I'm about to cry 11 year old John wearing <laughs> the UNC shirt. And then this Georgia tech fan saw and was like, can't believe that happened to y'all and actually gave us two tickets. Oh, so we did get inside. So, and really the game itself, because I, I was 11 and I just remember how loud it was and the excitement and the energy. So watching it back, because I don't, I don't really remember specific plays, but now watching it, I, it puts context as to why I remember just the crowd being so loud and that flow. Uh, because, I mean, you've already said it, Joey, but the highlights in this one are just incredible. So, that was my memory going into this rewatch. It's cool to give that some context. I mean, low-key, anybody who, who has ever been, um, and depending on what you read, will say that the Thriller Dome was one of the more, I guess, oppressive or you know, suffocating environments when Georgia Tech was good and when it was loud. All right, so now we're getting to we, – we've set it up. We're going to kind of start running down the, the flow of the game or the major events of the game. John, I'll go to you first. In the rewatch, what was the, the biggest takeaway that you had as, you know, as we're getting started, like as, as the game's kind of mm -hmm. getting its own identity? It's got to be the Vince Carter dunk at the 1703 mark when he just came down and basically like the announcers <sighs> mentioned that he bruised his arm because he hit the rim so hard. And I think he, he could have put his elbow through, the like just hung there if he wanted to. Uh, but to start it off, it, it's got to be that. That's got to be the first major event is, I mean, three minutes into the game and Vince just lets you know, Hey, this is this is Vince Carter, and this is what I'm, I'm going to be doing today. Two three zone. Okolaji in for the first time. Here's a steal. They rotate their starters alphabetically. Carter on the roll. Woo! You could feel that over here. And he always made them all look so effortless. And this is another one. Um, I also had I had that in my notes. I also had that. Uh, 
again, knowing what we know now, it's easy to make this mark, but the 18 minute mark in the first half was Shimon Williams's first three. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to point out too, uh, how weird it was seeing the difference between the pro three point line and the college three point line versus what yeah. we see now. But I digress. Rel, what was the, what, what kind of things that jumped out at you as the game was, was starting to carve out its, its, its own feel? I think the storyline, I had forgotten that this game was immediately after Duke. And that was back when, you know, there were Sunday afternoon games or Sunday games in general. So this was a Thursday, Sunday type deal. And in the real, at the beginning, when they're talking to uh, Coach Bill Guthridge, his first year as a head coach, he was talking about how they took Friday off because the guys were so fatigued. And I think um, they, they got out to a, a pretty good lead early, and that kind of dissipated mm-hmm. as the game went on. I mean, they were up a healthy amount at halftime as well. <clears throat> but I think, you know, one, hearing Jay Billis and seeing Jay Billis um, with hair. Really, yeah, with I, hair. I for, yeah, I had forgotten. <laughs> honestly, I'd forgotten he's been at ESPN this long. I was like, wow, yeah. Jay Billis is doing – color analysis in 1998 you know that's a long that's 22 years ago so that's i so that caught me off guard for one um mike patrick is mike patrick so it was interesting Mm -hmm. to hear his voice again it'd been a while um and then like you said with the game flow um it just jumped off the page to me or jumped off the the video screen to me how different players were then versus now and i don't mean to make this a you know back in my day type deal but, you know, there's a two top five picks on the court for North Carolina. It just, you know, not, not to use cliches, but they just look like dudes, like, yeah. getting on the court, you know. And I think that has changed tremendously over the last, you know, 20-plus years just because of one and done and other schools are, you know, getting some of these more dominant athletic, you know, <clears throat> you know top five overall type players. So that was surprising to me um, just how athletic they were, how long they were the ease with which they scored. Um, they shot, I think it was 64% in the first half. I mean, they just weren't yes. missing. And it wasn't because Georgia Tech was doing anything really bad. It was just they could finish so well around the basket. And then they had, you know, a, a magician, you know, getting the ball in the post. Um, so I, I could go on and on. But that, that was my initial read yeah. was just like how, how much, how different these dudes look than college players today. A couple of notes I wanted to throw out. Um, Specifically, you're exactly right about the high percentage that North Carolina shot. And that was against a zone that was giving them a little bit of trouble first when, when Georgia mm-hmm. Tech first threw it on them. Um, I had also forgotten that, that Bobby Crimmins was a junk defense guy, but I, I remembered that seeing, seeing this game as it went on, that he was, he was one that was willing to do that. But yep. you, just, you just hit a, on a couple of things that I think are really key about this team that you would see in the encompass- – I guess it was, they were encompassed in this game from a standpoint of – UNC had barely went six deep, seven if you want to count Haywood later in the year. But, I mean, went six deep, and everybody on that roster looked like a dude. I mean, Maktar was a dude. Um, yeah. Adamola Okalaja, who, uh, looking at him now, I'm like, God, do you plug him in on any team in the ACC? And he is just – he's a freak because of the build that he had, the skill set that he had, how different his game was, uh, and that you had such a, such a difference maker in, in Ed Cota who – had two points this game wow Mm. wow 13 assists but two points and all these other guys and not to be outdone you go look at the and you'll see it in the box score we talk about that later but you you go look at who who Georgia Tech was lining up against I mean Harpering and and Jameis were basically one and two in just about every offensive category uh you know and and you've got Maddox who would have a great game and, and Glover and then Alvin Jones was a bit of a talent I mean I think he was 
he probably thought he was a little better than he was, but <laughs> Alvin Jones turned out yeah. to be a pretty decent talent. So I think, I think both of those, both of those notes are pretty, pretty powerful that you guys shared just now. Um, Cheryl talking about the game flow. It, it, it never felt like, I mean, and obviously it wouldn't get that way because it was an overtime game, but it, it felt like Carolina was always close to kind of stepping on the gas and they never did. Yeah. And I think, um, so maybe I, I'll, I'll go ahead and say this. So one thing I noticed um, in that I'd forgotten the depth issues, because when you, when you just start talking about 1998 North Carolina, you're like, oh, that team was loaded. They had Antoine Jamison and Vince Carter. And, how do they ever lose? Yeah, how do they ever lose? And then, and then you start thinking about it. It's like, okay, so who's the sixth best player on that team? And you would say, well, probably Mac Tarjai. And then it was like, okay, who's the seventh? And you're like, I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I mean, legitimately, there wasn't much depth. And I'm going to say this, and, you know, me and Brian Ives, uh, stat guru for the ACC Network, had talked about this game a couple of weeks ago, actually. It's pretty funny. And he made a, a pretty great observation that Carolina fans are not going to like. But that 98 team reminds kind of the way it was built reminds me of that Duke team with Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett and Cameron mm. Reddish. They didn't have quite the third guy who was a Cameron Reddish right. talent, even though Shaman yeah. was as good as Reddish was. <clears throat> but just a team, you could see why they might would win the national championship, and you would also see why they probably wouldn't in that one game. I thought you saw all of that, uh, being that when Shaman was on and Antoine was doing his thing and, you know, Vince kind of being the third guy and Coda distributing, it's like there's no way you're going to beat this team. At the same token, it's like, well, if it's just Shimon who's making shots from the outside right. and, you know, Vince maybe trails off some and Adakota's not scoring, um, then, you know, kind of what do you do? So yeah. I think you saw the, the, a perfect balance of why, um, you know, they probably should have won, won the national championship and why they did. John, what do you think? I mean, I think Rail hit it on, uh, the, on the nail on the head there. I mean, one thing that – I noticed as far as the depth is that, you know, um, Maktar Jayak played a lot in this game, a lot more than what probably maybe fans expected going into it. But if you look at it, especially during crunch time, UNC went small. It was yeah. actually Jamison at the five. Yeah. Um, and they had um, Okalaja at the four, but they were kind of just uh, playing that swarming post defense. And, yeah, I mean, the, the flow of the game, I actually thought that the first half – was pretty choppy it had its moments where I think Carolina maybe got a little bit ahead of themselves and ended up getting sloppy a little bit and you know at halftime the obviously going to um, OT was big because the the regular when regulation ended it was only 80 to 80 yeah but you would think that it was like this night you know it would have been the 90s just during regulation with how the guys were getting up and down the court in that second half the first yeah. half I felt was a lot more like you mentioned that junk defense that that two three Carolina really had some issues getting into transition. I had one of my notes as far as the major events early on was when Shimon hit a three in transition, and those I think were the only two threes he actually hit in that first half. In the at first all. half, that's correct. Mm -hmm. And so Carolina just could not really get their offense going like they wanted to. Georgia Tech was being very physical against. Uh, Carter and Jamison as well and if you watch it especially when they were trying to run around in the post they were getting elbowed and bumped constantly by every single Georgia Tech big whenever that they would come around there um, that we can talk about later on Joe when there's a little <laughs> bit of a controversy about um, Vince going up for a dunk at one point in the game but 
the flow of it, I felt like it really picked up. Um, Carolina, there were about five different times where it just seemed like Carolina was going to win by 20 and the game was going to be over with. But every time it was either Harpering or Maddox would hit a big three um, and they would just be right back in it. And Carolina start also started off the second half terribly, which gave Georgia Tech a lot of momentum, I feel like. Yeah, so I'm glad you, you mentioned, you know, what you just did. I, I think the choppiness, you know, and again, when you've got guys like Anton Jameson who can score in, you know, a, a, an eyelash, right? Which UNC, he did. <laughs> UNC still never got into a real flow, it felt like. And I think a lot of that was due to turnovers. I, I made the comment that, you know, right after uh, – right after I wrote in my notes that Mike Patrick hates Ed Coda, uh, I, made a, I made a note about, you know, the fact that Coda had a ton of turnovers in this game. Um, and he also was facilitating like he always did. I think he finished with 13 assists. But those turnovers and, you know, there was one in the second half where UNC, I think it stressed it out to six to eight, and then Mactar throws it at Shaman's feet. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. – they, they had some – it wasn't just the amount of turnovers, which they had 20, but it was the, the timing of them and, and how it just continued to break flow of the game. Um, John, you also led into this a little bit, so I'll go ahead and push this. I had my notes, you know, after like the 15-minute mark in the first half, I don't know, somewhere between 15 and 10, I wrote, is Georgia Tech dirty? Uh, you know, <laughs> we, I like to try to talk about controversies in this game, but I'll let you take it first, and then we'll kick it to Sherelle. Yeah. Do you feel like it was dirty? Do you feel like there was some, some controversial stuff in here? Was it just Georgia? I mean, it's not necessarily, you know, Bobby Kerman sending in the goons, or was it? I don't think it was that. I think it was more that going into it, Crimmins knew that Carolina was more athletic. And he knew that if Carolina let Jamison and Carter play the game that they wanted to play, get up and down the court, go high flying, Georgia Tech was going to lose, and they were probably going to lose bad. The only time that I thought that Georgia Tech, it was a little bit chippy, and like I said, it was a controversy kind of when – in the first half, there was a no call where Carter had gone up, and it's when he landed pretty hard and had to be helped off the court. And on the replay, you kind of see that the Georgia Tech defender, I forgot exactly who it was. It might have been Harpering, but he puts his arm into Vince's back as Vince is in the air. Yep. And it wasn't really an undercut, but, you know, he was making it known that he was there. So – it seemed to me like a style that teams have often employed against Carolina where if, since Carolina usually has an athletic advantage, the other team figures, look, the refs are not going to call every single foul. So let's foul them until the refs make a stop. And in this game, the refs really let them play. I mean, I think neither team was in the double bonus until the first OT. Yeah. Yeah. It was very late and which given the physical, the physicality of this game was very surprising. So I just think it was a situation where Georgia Tech knew that Carolina had just beat the pants off of Duke. They're going to be riding high, and they just wanted to come in and be as physical as they could. And they figured that, you know, with the home crowd and the refs, they could probably get away with some stuff. And that's kind of what happened. That's fair. Sherelle, was Georgia Tech dirty? No, I don't think they're dirty. I, I agree with John. Like, why not? I mean, you know, I just. It's Thursday night. You're a Georgia Tech player. You're at home, and you see these dudes like dunking on the number one team <laughs> in the nation, going crazy. Mm-hmm. You're not going to come into my arena and just dunk on me, even though it happened a couple of times. I'm not just. <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. allow that. I've had too much pride for that to happen. So I think that was a, a big part of it. And the other thing is, Georgia Tech was not a small team compared to what mm-hmm. North Carolina was that particular right. year. I mean, 
Yeah. Calvin Jones is a, was a, is a massive dude. Matt Harpering was probably, you know, 6'7", legit 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, and a Deion, wide body. And a wide, yeah. Mm-hmm. Deion Glover is a really big guard. Uh, Maddox is, you know, had good size. So they, they, these weren't, you know, just puny little small dudes that Carolina was playing against. And I, I think, you know, they wanted to set a tone early, and, and they did, and say we're not going to be intimidated by – you, you know, just because of what you did on Thursday night against Duke, just because you're number one and you've got the national player of the year and another guy who's going to be drafted high and everyone expects you to go to the final four. That means nothing. I think it was, it was a concerted effort by them to make sure that they themselves weren't intimidated and to show that they could play with North Carolina. And once that happened, I think that's one of the reasons that they didn't go away every time it got to nine or 10 or 11 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, they had, they had said, you know, these guys are, they're basketball players. They're not, you know, they're, they're, they're not much different than us. They're, they're playing the game just like we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that is kind of the mindset that Georgia Tech had coming into the game. And that's why they chose that particular route, as John said, because when you do have a talent deficit, that's kind of the, one of the ways you try to even it up. And historically, and I think it still, you know, it still bears out today. I always feel like in my head that North Carolina has had trouble in Atlanta, whether it be basketball or football. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Carolina's always had issues in Atlanta. So um, I, the national t- the national title team lost to an awful Georgia Tech team <laughs> three years ago. I so mean, so bad. it happens. It yes. happens. Like they go to Georgia Tech and just I don't know. Everybody loses Atlanta, their mind. Atlanta Atlanta <laughs> does something to people. So especially Hot young Atlanta. men. Yeah, yeah, so <laughs> especially young men. I heard. Yeah. That. yeah. Um, okay, yeah, so yeah. so this game offered up an amazing menu of them. But Sherelle, what was your timeless highlight of this game? You already. Uh, you, I'm, I'm going to take away the Vince Carter. <laughs> you know, poke away, run down, and pick up. Oh, a I'm going to take I that. I have away. that one too. Well, you can, but Sherelle, I'm taking that away from Sherelle. Oh, okay. Because yeah, you already good. here to use it in the opener. Uh, Sherelle, what's your timeless highlight of the game? So that's what I remember immediately. The right. thing I probably remember most vividly is UNC's up three in the second overtime, and there's a timeout. And Coach Guthridge is his first year as a head coach. I'm sure he's hearing the whispers about, you know, this is he, right. Dean got him the job, Coach Smith got him the job, and Coach Smith, you know, taught him everything he knows, blah, blah, blah. He comes out of the timeout in a zone for maybe the first or second time the entire game. Uh, Jordan Tech gets the ball in the middle. Carolina collapses on it, as expected. Kick out to Deion Glover on the wing, who did not have a great shooting night. I think he was like 8 of 22 or something. He uh, badly misses a three at the front of the rim. Carolina gets the ball. Um, they start running their offense. Shaman Williams gets the ball at the top of the key, takes two dribbles. Deion Glover, hand down, man down. Shaman pulls up for three, game over. Georgia Tech will need another big bucket here. They have all day as these teams have really slugged it out. Again, another huge possession for Georgia Tech. You have got the score here. Harpering, nice touch pass to Glover for three, short. Good rebound. Shimon Williams right there and didn't try to do anything fancy with it. He had Jamison sprinting out, but intelligently decided to keep it. Burning clock with a three-point lead far more important than stretching it out a little bit and taking the chance he might turn it over. Spread the court, trying to take some time off the clock. 120 on the game clock, 14 on the shot clock. Looking to fill Ford for a little instruction. One four low. Shimon Williams oh. with a long, long three. Holy cow! 38 points for Shimon Williams. 
Mike, that's just ice water. Oh, that is just ice water in your veins to pull off. That's a knockout blow. So, like, just, just that whole sequence yeah. of Deion Glover kind of uh, Deion Glovering <laughs> with the bad three. And then, you know, <laughs> Deion not, Glovering is now yeah, a verb. <laughs> yeah, not getting in Shaman's face. I just remember that well because, uh, you know, Shaman was on fire. It's like, why would you not be all up in that guy to make him drive? And he just, I don't know if he forgot, if he was tired or what it was, but it was lights out, lights out after that. It was definitely, uh, it was definitely one of those, you know, kind of, I'm trying not to say anything that that's going to get, get us in trouble here, but it was definitely one of those, um, showing what you have, uh, moments for the Carolina team. I feel like, because that, oh, that we, was, we, we can say it, you know, it, it was a do him. It's yeah. you're, you're, you're at a, you're at a AU yes. game and the mom's yes. over here and the dad's over here. They say, baby, do him, take him. Yes. Yes. And Shaman, mm-hmm. that's what Shaman did. He Shaman hurt, Shaman hurt from, his mama from the, the <laughs> third row of the mezzanine say that just like an old, in an old peach jam game. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's, that's exactly what happened. All right. Uh, I'll hit you up, John. What do you, what do you got? What was your timeless highlight? But what was cool about that Shaman three is you mentioned earlier, Joey, how it was really weird that the court had the NBA line and yeah. the, um, the college line, which I don't remember there being that big of a difference between yeah. the two. I mean, imagine what some of these guys could shoot from three from that college three point line. I mean, it'd be like a layup for some of these guys, but yes. that, that Shaman three was beyond the NBA line. It was just so cool. Uh, love that. My number one Thomas highlight was in the second half at the 1738 mark. If you can watch this game on YouTube, when it's a fast break and Carter makes the pass to Jamison who just jams it all over the Georgia Tech defender. I, I should have wrote down his name. I cannot remember. But the announcer, it was great Mac Patri- uh, Matt Patrick, Mike Patrick moment because, you know, Jamison, they've been physical with him. And this yeah. was kind of a get out of my way. I'm going to throw this down, and you can be on a poster or you can go ahead and scoot. And the Georgia Tech defender scooted. Harpering for three. Would have tied it. Here they come on a run. Carter trying to get in position. They feed it to Jamison instead, and he'll get the jam. That's the way you answer a guy who's been talking to you a little bit. Travis Spivey got to see up close what Antoine Jamison was all about. Uh, That was my number one. Uh, Number two was Shaman. When he really started getting, I feel like his groove was actually the three in the 15-minute mark in the second half. Because like yep. I said earlier, Carolina had a bad start to the, to the second half. Georgia Tech was feeling themselves. The crowd was big. And it's on the broadcast. I love seeing it. Shimon hits the three in the corner and then does the shh motion as he's going back to play defense. And it, then he hits another one right after that. But it, you could tell in that moment, Shimon was just like, you know what? I'm not letting us lose tonight. They're going to let me shoot these threes. I'm going to shoot them all night, and I'm going to hit them. Spivey is in there. This half, the heels with four turnovers. Harpering to tie. Well, I'll tell you what, Mike. You let a guy like Matt Harpering get started, and I'm not sure what you can do to stop him. But it's all over. I mean, he starts feeling and you have got to get out on him. I think the only answer is to give it to Jamison on this end. Cota with six assists and six turnovers. Shaman Williams with his great eye drains it out of the corner. How many times have we said over the course of the last two years that Shaman Williams hits big shots? Seems like when North Carolina needs a basket, Shaman Williams is the guy that steps to the floor. They must have ruled Harpering's last basket a two. Jones with a tip in off the Harpering miss. 
because it, instead of tied, it was a one-point game before the North Carolina three. Williams again. Shaman Williams. Trying to silence the crowd and doing a very good job of it, but he's not going to do it by putting his index finger to his lips. He's going to do it by continuing to drain those threes. Yeah, there was he was he was on a full game heat check to follow up to your two points. Uh, he had three threes in the span between 1501 and 1346 in the second half. Lead is quickly back to seven. They always answer the bell, don't they? Yes, they do. Floyd had the three and passed on it. Coda took it away from him. Floyd turned his head for an instance, and Coda was right there. Williams. Oh, man. Three in the space of about a minute 20. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I also have in my notes at, um, at 1738 uh, in the second half, uh, Jameson takes a soul. <laughs> Which uh, essentially, yes. I mean, uh, and I, I think it was Travis Spivey, but don't quote me on it, that. But yeah, he, I think he it was, yeah. He absolutely just, you know, snatched somebody's life on that dunk. And it was one that it wasn't as ferocious or as artsy as some of Carter's were, but it was very much a, a grill, um, you know, janked in mm -hmm. uh, very, well, very much so. And, um, and it was, it was Spivey who had who, been being chippy with him. And so that's, I think, Jameson exercised some demons in that dunk. Uh, th there was there was quite a bit, and you know some other ones I want to I want to call attention to. You mentioned the one from uh, you mentioned the one from Vince in the first half. There was a uh, there was another one he had at um, at three forty in the first half, uh, and then also there was a Shamond heat check. The first one was uh, at seventeen oh five in the second, and then ten minutes. This is the one where you knew he was going to be absolutely out of his mind. Uh, he shoots it over a double team. In the mm -hmm. second half, with two guys in his face, off balance, with one foot on the NBA, with one foot on the NBA line, right in front of the Carolina bench, and that was, that was okay. That's it. It's you knew there was nothing anybody was going to do. I mean, he could have shot, you know, he could have shot it from the McDonald's logo on the floor or from an actual McDonald's, and it would have gone in, uh, either way. Williams got by Glover, couldn't do anything with it. Back back to man to man. Williams will try a tough three over two defenders, and he buried it. Holy cow, he has 24. That was a tough shot. I think Georgia Tech better consider the one in box. Put the box on Williams, and the yeah. one can guard everybody else. He's hit six out of seven threes. All right. This is the section I always like to call this guy. It's pretty easy to, to pick Shimon Williams, but this is my show, so I'm going to take Shimon off the, off the table. John, who was your this guy for the game? So, actually, I had um, Okalija as my kind of more unsung hero. All right. Yeah, because if you watch it, his second half, he was pretty quiet. But in that first half, Carolina got out to the big lead, like, like Rel said. Mm -hmm. But Georgia Tech was fighting back. And Okalija actually there in that first half, had a couple big buckets, some bigger rebounds, and the defense he was actually playing was really great because God bless Maktar Chai in this game, but he was trying to swat everything. Yeah. <laughs> and Okalija was actually kind of tasked with, look, when Jai gets up there and leaves his man alone for an offensive rebound, which happened, and Georgia Tech killed Carolina on the offensive glass in this game, but Okalija was getting in there to get those rebounds and really play that hard defense. Um, he would be mine on the Carolina side. Like I said, in the second half, he was a little, little bit quieter. 
He had one shot that was really close to, to coming in to kind of that would have helped stem a tide, but he was in there. I think he played the entire 10 minutes of overtime um, really helped out with, with the tired legs. Once Georgia tech uh, started really just dragging a little bit, he was running the court. Um, I think if you're going to go on Georgia tech, it has to be Maddox though, because he was very impressive in this game, just the way that he was shooting. But I'll give it to Okalaja, who does not get a whole lot of love on that Carolina squad. But in this game, yeah. I felt that he, he played kind of like that, that Marcus Ginyard, um, like that role where he doesn't show up on the stat sheet. But if you watch what he's doing, he makes a big impact. No, he's, he's, he's very much a Swiss Army knife, utility-type player, 33 minutes of that game, and, and filled in a lot of gaps in a very timely fashion to, mm-hmm. to kind of echo your point. Rel, who was your this guy? Quick question. Let's go to ICTV, ICTV Jeopardy. Uh, Adam Ogolaj's last game was against who? Weber State. Good job. Good uh, job. Uh, there's there's a reason Vip ain't put me on the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you, were a stu- you were a student then, so that doesn't count. Wow. Uh, why, why, yeah, you go, why do you go to with the uh, old jokes, man? Just, uh, no, that's no, not old jokes. <laughs> uh, so mine is, is, is Mike Maddox. Like, if you had said, Sherelle, who was Mike Maddox? I'd have been like, <laughs> he's a dude running for Senate, like in Georgia. Really, and, really good pitcher for the Blue Jays. Yeah, the, or yeah, I'd have been yeah, like, yeah. Uh, is he an accountant? Like, who's, I don't know, a Mike Maddox. Is he in a movie? Is he a movie star? Like, I have no recollection of Mike Maddox at all. I started watching the game. I was like, man, this, this dude's pretty good. Then, you know, there was a, a spin move where he finished with his left hand over Jameson. I was like, okay, I, I see you, Mike Maddox. And then he hit a three. I was like, wow, I, I don't remember this at all. And then he hit another three and another jumper and another three. And before you know it, he has like 32 points and he hit the three to tie the game to send it into overtime. I'm like, what happened over the last 22 years? Why well, I haven't thought about Mike Maddox since. Like, you know, the dude should have had his own sneaker line based upon that game because it was it. – I'm sure – I'm not a Mike Maddox expert, obviously, but I'm pretty sure that was the game of his life. I mean, I, I don't know how much better you can possibly play in, in that situation. Uh, you know, uh, 50% from three and, you know, 50% from the field, uh, double, double going against two lottery picks. Like the guy was feeling it and his team still lost. Um, But it was, I just, I just, I just couldn't believe like it before the game started, my memory was, Oh, Matt Harpering went off and you know, he was really hot in the second half. And that's the reason Georgia Tech was in it. Just no memory at all of Mike Maddox, like none. (laughs) Well, and you know, Carolina fans are really quick to tell you that, uh, Man, there's there's always that one guy, right? That just, of course, plays out of his out of his mind against Carolina. But um, yeah, he was uh he was quite the load that night. The the final line on Maddox was 32 points, which is a career high, like you said, and 12 rebounds. Um, it was it, it was quite something to see, you know, the shots that he was getting, the shots that he was taking, as if it had been part of his entire career. That oh, I'm I I am this guy. You like would have thought is, that he. You yeah. would have thought he was Antoine Jameson. Antoine Jameson. Mm-hmm. He and, was a first-team All-American. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, well, here's what, what's interesting though about Maddox. I don't know if y'all caught this, but out of his 32 points, he had 31 at the 3:32 mark in the first OT. One point the rest of the first OT and zero point and and in the second OT. So that's how Carolina won that game. Is they locked him down for the final eight and a half minutes of play. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, the guys 13 of 25, I mean, that's, 
that's all, that's that's volume shooting, but still, it felt like he was. It felt like he didn't miss. I I agree with what you're saying, Rel. And, and let me add one more thing before you segue. Well, um, I also want to give you. You have to give a shout out to Jamison because um, oh, what yeah. he did was what he did in every single game. It felt like, and we're talking about wow, Shimon had 42. You know, only five other players in Carolina history have had more points than that in a single game. Great, and you're like, oh, Mike <laughs> Maddox. You know, the game of his career. Wow. Matt Harpering, a, a huge double-double. Wow. And then it's like Antoine Jameson. Oh, he just put up 31 and – what was it? 12, 31 and 12 or something. And he took uh, – I, 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 31 and 7. 31 and yeah, 7. And, seven. and he only took – I'm sure he only took like 15 shots or something ridiculous. That's um, 17. So the, you're close. 17, yeah. So the efficiency um, that he had and the, the way – off the charts and then just the angles in which he was able to finish near the basket um it's just incredible and and that that to me that was one thing that i had forgotten the way that ed coda uh got him the ball in the post was it was magical like you just don't see that in basketball or we haven't seen it in basketball i haven't in quite some time especially at the college level um so just that whole thing about jameson and the efficiency and the way in which he scores just is tremendous and i just think he needs to be lauded because he did what he always did the effortless nature of an ed coda pass to an anton jameson layup is probably one of the more seamless and natural things that you will ever see in sports yeah and just period it just it looked that that effortless and that just like like it was just something divine that never had to be thought about <laughs> it it's like in it's like when uh uh you talk about quarterbacks throwing a, a receiver open mm-hmm. that's what he did with jameson sometimes i, I promise you I, I looked at it three four times because i wanted to be sure there were times when jameson hadn't even made his cut yet and i feel like the mm-hmm. ball was already out of cut his yep. hands and so jameson had no wasted motion he would just catch it and go up immediately because the ball was in the perfect place um, that, that's just tremendous. You know, you don't see that much anymore. Oh, what a ball game this has been. And now all of a sudden the crowd is making this a different atmosphere. Coda, great pass to Jamison. And somehow it goes straight from where he catches it right in the basket. Well, I'm still trying to figure out how he caught it. And he caught it and scored before anybody even knew it was going in there. Kendall Marshall. Very similar. I, I don't remember the, the time. Um, it was somewhere around the, the, the last segment or next to last segment in regulation. Jameson caught one and kind of went up with both hands like a scoop shot off balance. And, and he, mm-hmm. his back was to the basket and it, and it goes in. And it's just, I think Carolina fans, and, and this reminded me of it. I think Carolina fans took for granted just how, again, we've used the word effortless a lot how effortless he was in getting the ball out of his hands. And while we're going off on stats, I want to read you another line. And this, this jumped off the page at me. Uh, I'm going to nominate this for my this guy. 19 points, five rebounds, three blocks, five steals, four assists for Vince Carter. I mean, that's, that's a, a dumb stat line. And again, if you don't have Shaman getting 42 and, and Jamison getting a pedestrian 31 and seven, you know, we would be talking about what the night that Vince Carter had because he stuffed every column on the stat sheet. Back to the zone. Carter, oh. double clutch. The hesitation, the presence of mind to switch it in the air. What a great player. Nine points for Vince Carter. And that, that was that was something that they were waiting for even into his junior year. Um, I think there were still some lingering questions about, okay, 
yeah, he can score. The yeah, well-roundedness. But can yeah. he do all the things that he needs to do to be a really good player at the NBA level? And, you know, you started to see it. That's, uh, that game is a perfect okay. example. Definitely. He went two for five from beyond the three-point line this game, too. So. Um, Including one of which was just a terrible looking shot. It may have been one of the, maybe one of the worst form shots. It, it looked like my son, like when he's, you know, when he's trying to throw uh, some trash into the trash can, he's about 10 feet away. So he's kind of getting this and it's and my son's six. So this is, this is the way that looked on the air. And when you guys watch it back, I'm sure you'll know which shot I'm talking about. Um, all right, guys, in your feelings. What did this rewatch make you feel? John, you already talked about how you remembered going as a kid and, you know, some loser in America ripping you off only to have some other great Samaritan come and save humanity for you and get you guys in the game. But what do you, what does rewatch make you feel afterwards looking back on it? I still, to this day, how 98 didn't win the national title. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be something that every Carolina fan will never, ever, ever get over because I mean, you can talk about lack of depth all day long, but just that starting five, and especially when they went small, just it was it really is a a privilege to watch these guys get up and down and play how how they did. And it just made me appreciate how dominant Jameson was because I think the modern, like in the present time, Vince Carter has become such a folklore hero because he's played in the NBA for so long and people you know, he, he has had a better NBA career than, than Antoine. But in college, it was all about Antoine Jameson. Yeah. And the announcers even mentioned that. It, just watching a team play that, still play Carolina style, but yet get out there, be as physical, be as athletic as they were. It, it was just – it was a really cool feeling – really nostalgic for kind of that era as well, just because basketball has changed so yeah. much. I mean, nowadays, rather than Jamison being in the post and being there to make those insanely yeah. acrobatic shots, you know, he'd be at the three-point line. He's a 3-4, yeah. Yeah, because he, he's such a good shooter. And so you'd have Coda, rather than make those bounce passes, which seem to like bend around players – he would be driving into the lane and then kicking back out where you'd have, you know, it'd be three guys on the, on the three point line. And so it was just so interesting and just really a good throwback to see that style of basketball being played. That, that was kind of my feeling leaving that game. And again, just still 98, just it's, it's, <laughs> it's the greatest to sure. not win. Sherelle, what did what did this stir up for you, or what you know what rewatch did, or what did this rewatch make you feel? Um, a couple of things. Um, I think first off, uh, it made me actually feel better about what happened to the '98 team in the Final Four hmm. because I think over time you develop myths around things and. Uh, the 2010, <laughs> talking about the throwback that you we just had, the 2010 football team is a great example of how they, you know, over time they've become this legend and, and maybe <laughs> it was a bit more than what it was. Um, just in my mind, man, I was, I, I was convinced, like, before I started watching the game, man, this team is so deep. They've got so many great players. Yeah. There's just no way they should have ever lost a game. Um, and it, I just, when I watched the game, I was like, wow, serious lack of death. Wow. The starting point guard had two points. Like, 
that's not great. Yeah. Like, wow, who's the, who's the seventh person to come off the bench? Like, can they contribute? You know, Brendan Haywood wasn't giving them much. Like he, he didn't play at all in that game. I don't think if he did, maybe it was just one minute at the end of, of end of a half. Um, it's like Maktar Jai, like, okay, he's a solid player, but he's not, what I remember or what's grown in my head over the last 22 years of the kind of player yeah. he was. So it, it stripped him down a little bit to be slightly more human than what I had built up in my head over time. So I, I felt that. Um, and then what I was talking about earlier with um, I saw why they could win a national championship and why they wouldn't. I saw the same thing with why Ed Cota is still, even though as great as he was, how, why some people just have some questions about him because I mean, it, on consecutive plays, you would see just an amazing pass, uh, a pure dime to Jamison, perfect, you know, you know, everything looked great. And the next time, the ball would just, you know, go out of bounds off of someone. Mm-hmm. But yeah, because he threw yeah. it off of somebody's foot or something. And it's just like that kind of inconsistency, even though he was playing with players like those two, um, that, that came back. And then the final thing, I, I'll try to be brief in the final thing, was just the sheer athleticism with which they finished. And God. I don't know if we will ever see a Carolina team like that again. I, I no. hate to keep saying it, but it just so much re- reminds me, and shout out to Brian Ives for this, of that Duke team with Zion and R.J. Barrett because they just looked bigger and stronger and faster and more athletic than you, and you knew it, and they knew it, and they were going to come out and show it. And um, Not even marginally. Like, it was yeah. a significant yeah. gap yeah, yeah, them yeah. And, and, like Deion Glover is, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> I think he was a McDonald's All American, you know, yes. a top twenty-five player. He was great, and he just looked slow compared to those guys. He was um, Deion so Glovering. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> so I think that's what I remember is just uh, Ed Cota's inconsistency. It made me feel better about the '98 team because it stripped them down a little bit, and then just the athleticism that North Carolina had. Yeah, I, I think um, both of you guys kind of brought in some really for lack of a better term, poetic ways of looking at this. Um, Cause you can still see, God, how did this team not win at all? And you can also see, Oh, I see how this team didn't win at all. I mean, it's, it's very much, um, you know, a nice case study in, in the way to have beaten this team was, was in this game. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more after this break. Uh, I'm going to have Michael Brooker, who was a freshman on that team uh, was from nearby, I believe it was Lawrenceville, Georgia or one of those other, I, I told, in a podcast we did with Tommy Ashley a while back, I told him he was from one of those uh, towns in Georgia that Allman Brothers made a song about. But we're going to have Michael Brooker on to talk about uh, you know, his experience with that team in this game uh, right after the break. But for the first half of the episode, I want to give a big shout out to my man, Rayleigh Mack, Cheryl McMillan, uh, John Siegley for stepping, at, stepping from behind the producer's desk and actually jumping on to, to drop some knowledge on us here and, and talk about when he was riding his big wheel to the game at uh, the Thriller Dome in Atlanta. I want to give another shout out to Johnny T-Shirt for being a part of, of this, this podcast. Uh, most of Inside Carolina, all of Inside Carolina's podcasts. Uh, shout out to Jimmy's Famous up in Baltimore. If you have not, uh, you're not gotten your re-up on a package, go ahead and do that. And, uh, yeah, I just want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, stick around after the break. We're going to talk to Michael Brooker and get his inside take on, on about this game and, and what he remembers about it. And maybe he'll share some knowledge that, from inside of the huddle that we didn't have before. But for Sherelle McMillan and John Siegley, we'll see you on the other side. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky 
co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, thanks for sticking around. This is the post-game interview of episode 12 of the throwback here on Inside Carolina, InsideCarolina.com. We've been talking about the 1998 basketball game at Georgia Tech and the Thriller Dome and what a thriller it was. Right now, I want to bring on somebody that was, was on the squad in 1998. You've probably seen uh, this gentleman speak with, with Tommy and I on one of our early editions of what would become the 40 Club podcast. But right now, I want to bring him in from Standardville, Georgia, 6'6", uh, was a freshman on that squad, uh, Michael Brooker. Brooke, how you doing, buddy? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so for those of you who are listening or watching, last time when Tommy and I talked to Michael, we spent about an hour with him, and uh, he was really, really good about opening up about his career. And I wanted to talk to him specifically about this game because there was just so much going on in this. And... Um, you know, last time we bothered him on his vacation with his family at the beach, but now I feel like we got him in a little better place. But oh, yeah. um, <laughs> much better service too. So. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, Mike, was this the most absurd game as far as like individual scoring outputs that you were ever a part of? I, I think so. Like I, going back and watching it in the last couple of days, I mean, I knew we scored over a hundred. I knew Tech did the same, and I knew Shimon went crazy, but I, I didn't. I kind of forgot some of the specifics. You know, Georgia Tech had two guys, you know, Maddox and Harpering that had 25-plus, Maddox over 30-plus, and Twan had 31, and Vince had almost 20. So it was um, – yeah, definitely as far as my recollection, it's definitely the, the highest scoring from as many guys as there were and as high level of players as there were in that game. Had you – as a guy from Georgia, had you ever been or played a game in the Thriller Dome before prior to this? No, I had never um, – I grew up a Georgia football fan, went to some, a few games there, but I never really um, – in a couple of Georgia basketballs, but never never had been to Atlanta. It definitely lived up to its uh, namesake that night. Uh, it was it was an electric atmosphere for sure. Yeah, I'll say when, when Maddox hit that that shot to tie the game and send it in the first yeah. overtime, it was, it was pretty loud. Do you have any memories of the pregame prep for this game? Because, you know, coming off the back of such a, such a big game against Duke – uh, you know, talk us through what pregame prep looked like and, and, you know, if you guys actually did a – I'm assuming you did, like, one day of full practice, but what was that like or do you – you know, what can you tell us that you remember? I mean, I think Coach Coach Guthridge always did a good job of just having us focus on, you know, the next game. Uh, when we were in an NCAA tournament, um, he did a good job of that, the focus of treating each, each round as their own tournament, so to speak, um, you know, as the – 
Birmingham Invitational is what he called it when we played Stanford, um, beat them as and they were the one seed and we were the eight seed. So I, I think he's always done a good job or always did a good job with funneling guys' attention spans and obviously coming off a huge win. And, um, you know, potential trap game in Atlanta on the road, good squad, uh, some really good talent they had. Had lost a lot of really close games, so they were looking to bust through the big win. I think we were 23 and one at the time, but um, I, I think Coach that was one of their strengths was continuing just to keep us focused on on the task at hand, and that was the very next game. A good recollection on that memory too. It was 23 and one. Kind of, I guess a, a pseudo segue from that question is the post Duke or a post number one game letdown for a team that was as talented as you guys. Is that a real thing? I think so. I mean, I, how can it not be? I mean, to a certain degree, it's, you know, human nature, um, bright lights of a Duke game. And the next thing you know, you're, you're on the road playing a talented team, but a team that had been struggling a little bit in the ACC. Um, you know, it's human nature to come out flat. And um, they, they threw a quirky zone at you know, not necessarily a quirky zone, but a zone that kind of slowed us down a little bit and took us a little while to kind of, start to get the, a better feel for. And so that kind of led to, you know, a little bit of a slow start and some disjointed moments offensively. But um, I thought the guys battled hard. And it, it was uh, – looking back at it, it was um, it was a battle. It was, it was fun to watch. Yeah. You know, you guys knew as, as team members, you knew when you guys were in it and when you weren't. You knew when you were clicking and when you weren't. At what point did you guys feel – or at least speak for yourself if you can't speak for the rest of the guys that were on the team – when did you feel like something was off with this game? I mean, early on, I mean, just like you said, never, never could get in a rhythm, really. I mean, so I, I kind of felt like with it being on the road, with it being just a very short, um, you know, time lapse between the last game that was a high-emotion high game that, yeah, I thought eventually we'd obviously come to, but the longer it went, and then especially late when they overcame that, what, six or seven point deficit in about a minute or less there towards the end of the game. I, I really thought there was a chance that we weren't going to be able to to kind of rectify things and pull it out. But, but obviously some guys made some huge plays late, um, some big shots, made some big free throws, and were able to get it to overtime and survive that shot at the end of the first overtime. I forgot about no, I forgot. <laughs> Not a wide open. He was challenged, but it was about as open as you're going to get. Uh, they ran that set to perfection. I mean, yeah. you know, Okolaja know was, was in his face, but it yeah. it was a great call. Helped off and they, he was able to get back, and Twan was able to challenge enough to kind of take away his focus. And so that was that was good to survive that for sure. We uh, the second overtime where we kind of took over. So one of the anomalies, I think, with typically with Carolina basketball, you know, Carolina's always, almost always, out rebounds their opponent by a significant margin. This game was different in that in that sense, in, in the way that you know it helped that that the Tar Heels were shooting in the low sixties percentage wise. Yeah. But the fact that that Georgia Tech out rebounded them so much was just so different and something that that people weren't used to. How did Coach Guthridge and the coaching staff react to that in the huddle? Was there anything they did during the game to change that? Um, I don't. I think it was more of a, an effort. Things at, at times, you know, Harpering was an animal on the boards that game, especially um, Jones, a seven footer. Maddox was really active. You know, Dion Glover's a great athlete down there. He had numerous offensive rebounds late in the second half. The one off the free throw where he got it back yeah. and, and put backs. And 
uh, and one. And so, you know, it's just um, some of that thing, once again, is kind of a just a letdown mentally at times, just to, you know, when a shot goes up, just to rely on pure athleticism. And those guys were really getting after it on their offensive board. So um, it was definitely something that tilted the game more towards their favor and kept them in it when, you know, it maybe shouldn't have been that close. So I, I kind of leaned into it a second ago, but I want to I revisit and kind of spend some more time with it. Teams that are this talented usually have kind of this innate ability that when they want to, they can turn it on and then just run away and hide. This team did that a lot that season. I mean, with the record they piled up and the way they beat some teams. I mean, they, did, they had just done it. You guys had just basically done the exact same thing to Duke that, that, they, that, that you guys would do so much more the rest of the year. When, when things started getting tight towards the end of the game, who's doing all the talking in the huddle? Who, what are the leaders saying, and what does that sound like? You know, I think, I think Shaman was a really verbal leader. Guys like Ademol, I mean, and Tuan, you know, I mean, we had a lot of – we had good leadership from all those guys. It's not like any of them were deficient in those areas. But, you know, guys like Shaman, and, um, you know, obviously Coach Ford's over there really animated and trying to um, – on a couple of – can't talk specific plays, um, you know, Tuan with his effort um, offensively and defensively running the floor. I mean, a couple of those guys led more by example, but Shalom was a little more of a verbal uh, verbal leader. And obviously he had it going, so he wanted to make sure we ended that thing the right way. So, um, there were some places during this game that things got quite physical and, and looked a little, a, a little suspect. Maybe that's coming from a view of, you know, in 2020, the way we view the game. And, you know, there's – if you foul a guy hard when he's going up for a shot at the end of the game, they're obviously going to go back and look at it. We yeah. didn't have that luxury in 1998. Yeah. So I'm going to pare all that down and try to just ask you straight up, was Georgia Tech dirty? Looking back at it, I think you could definitely make that argument. Spivey a couple times um, on, the, on the fast break that ultimately ended up being a – a Sports Illustrated cover for the NCAA tournament there. Uh, <laughs> yep. Against, um, which ended up being a really cool cover. But obviously it was a real scary moment during the game. And I thought on a lob early, a, a lob earlier in the game, I think Harper kind of undercut Vince when he went up and he banged he his elbow a little bit. So, you know, you don't want to cast aspersions and, and, and question people in that manner. But, yeah, I mean, I think you could definitely make that case that uh, several of those plays uh, were borderline dirty and, and – put a couple of our key players in some really, really tough spots and could have been unfortunate from an injury perspective for us. I mean, Twan got hit down low on a, on a layup on the break where they had kicked it back to him with a really nice pass. And uh, he got kind of undercut on a, a charge attempt, block attempt, whatever. And yep. so, um, he came down awkward. So, yeah, it, it definitely uh, – some, some replays would have been uh, <laughs> instituted today if, if those same plays would have happened. Um, for sure. And I'm not one to say that, you know, being physical or having a little bit of, a, of an edge to you is necessarily a bad thing for the game. But yeah. just specifically, with, like you mentioned, a couple of those instances, the way some of the Tar Heel players were kind of put in jeopardy physically, that, that, that does, you know, call to question, all right, was, was there some sort of code red put out on, you know, the two All-Americans to, to start that game? Yeah, I mean, I guess, too, when you're as athletic as we were, and as, uh, not we, not necessarily me necessarily. But Vince, <laughs> hey, you Vince you got Tom. up and down with them. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's a way to kind of get, you know, 
if you're going to go up, then you got to think twice about it. So, I mean, that probably did come into play with their mindset as far as trying to take away one of our strengths, which is our athleticism and speed. Yeah, I mean, that is kind of the ultimate equalizer. If you've got guys that are usually above the rim and high-flying players, if you can if you can make them think twice before they, they take off, it's, it's going to be in the back of their minds, and it will affect how comfortable they are on the floor. All right, last one I'm going to throw at you. How fun was this team in general? Oh, man, this, this team was unbelievable. I mean, obviously the record was incredible. We ended up, you know, Final Four. And, but just the run itself, I mean, when you go back and look at the players that were on that floor every night, I mean, every sixth game or fifth game you had, you know, an all-ACC type level player and in some cases a, a NBA all-star coming off the bench, you know, with the rotating starting five and, Obviously, Maktar was really good, and Adamola was really good, what he did for us on a nightly basis. But um, to have a guy like Shimon, to obviously extremely talented, hardworking player, to go off for 42 on the road, and he wasn't even – he was probably our third best player, maybe. Um, at times, our best, of course. But um, that day, he was our best, probably, with Antoine. But um, that just shows how – incredibly talented and I mean obviously we weren't very deep we did have some talent coming off the bench although it was pretty young with Brendan and Max yeah. and some of those guys that ended up playing major roles down the road but relatively speaking I, I think we played about six guys that game for 50 you know f around 50 minutes it, worth of it was you had two other guys Burstaker and Haywood got a minute each in the first half yeah but yeah, yeah you, you're exactly right it was basically six guys uh, at best I lied to you I said that was the last question I want to to push something a little bit further and see did you ever get any kind of inclination from seeing him in, in practice seeing him in practice or in summer scrimmages or you know just an open gym where that shaman had that ability to kind of just lights go for 40 one night did you ever had you guys seen anything that indicated that especially with the makeup of that roster where there are other scores out there probably not with the makeup of the roster just because we were so talented across the board and coach smith and coach got obviously throughout the years and um, was the emphasis of getting it inside as much as possible. Um, so, you know, there were – I mean, I knew he was capable of getting hot like that for sure. I've had to guard him in the past and done individual <laughs> workouts with him, trying to stay in front of him. So, I know he had that ability, but to do that on that roster and that venue, and as I was texting you earlier, I mean, just the, the shots were – they were incredibly tough shots. And numerous were hand in the face, off balance, you know, jab step, go up. You know, and they were also at key moments of the game. It wasn't like we were up 10 and he's just out there, you know, heat checking. And he was making tough shots and tough moments of the game when we really needed them. And so that was what made his performance even more incredible was, was that aspect of it in my mind. Well, and your math, your mathematical assessment of it is, is spot on because if he doesn't, if, if he doesn't get any of those, then all, you know, does the game even go to overtime, right? So the biggest one I think was, was at that 10 minute mark where he was almost, you know, in you and Brendan Haywood's lap over on the bench. Like, he's, he's got two Georgia Tech players right in front of him. He's off balance. He's at about the, the free throw line or the elbow extended with his foot on the NBA line and just drills it. And it was about the – I think it was a 10-minute mark in the second half. And that's, that's one of those where I could see you guys celebrating on, on the sideline. It's like, all right, this is, a, this is definitely going to be one for the ages. Yeah, it was wild because I, kept, I was watching the game – you know, like I said, the last day or so, and just rewatching it. And um, I kept wondering when he was going to get going. I was like, when is this going to start? Because I know he scores 42 points, but I'm like, right. 
So I guess about the 15 minute mark is when he started getting warm and he hit probably what three threes in about a minute and 20 minute 30. And that's where it kind of started rolling. And the one where he came down um, off the dribble top of the key from about NBA. <laughs> the the guy heat, that yeah, that, that heat check was dangerous. I think Brendan and all the guys just kind of, I think uh, Magtar was on the bench at that time. Yeah. He just kind of turned to the crowd and was like, well, you know, what do you do? You know, just roll with it. Um, so um, probably shots that coach would normally be like, no, no, no. But um, obviously <laughs> much needed at that time. and Love the result. All right. This is the last one. I promise. I want to be respectful <laughs> of your time. Oh, I got is, all the time in the world. Is, is there anything that you remember about this game that, that just jumps out at you? You know, again, as a guy that's, that was on the team that, you know, was was very involved with the success of, of that roster, is there anything that you remember specifically that you feel like would be a, a good little nugget to throw out to our listeners or viewers? I don't know if there's any nugget per se, but I, I don't think people quite realize um, the play late in, I believe it was, was it first overtime? I think it was 80, 86, 86 or 86-84 when – I think we had switched the zone. But anyway, Vince got his leg on it. He got his uh, knee on it. And he and Harpering were sprinting for the ball. Oh, yeah. 90 miles an hour, 75 feet down the court. And how he was able to scoop that thing up, go in full speed and gather his speed and go up and put it behind his head like that was – I was kind of marveling about it again last night. I think I had tweeted about it about a week or two ago. But just that play right there was <laughs> – kind of sums up um, how amazing Vince was, especially. Freakish how, athleticism. How talented that group was in general. Um, I mean, the length and the, the activity to, to be able to get his hand on a feet, leg on it. The, I mean, Harpering's a football player, had offers to Northwestern and a bunch of other Big Ten schools for football. He's a tough guy, and he was on the floor diving for it. Vince just kind of poked it away and gathered and yammed it. So um, that's just one thing that kind of stood out watching again, other than Shimon's exploits and how efficient Antoine was with, you know, I think he was 10 out of 15 or whatever he was from the field and how active he was just in general. So, Well, again, it just shows you just how absurdly talented that this, this team was because that game was a game full of ridiculous highlights. And then you also have a guy, you know, to your point earlier, who was probably the third offensive option going for over 40. Uh, you had two other guys that were, you know, all Americans, all ACC players with amazing stat lines. And that doesn't even include the guys for Georgia Tech. So, yeah, it was absolutely one for the ages. Um, I'm glad you called the reference that, that it was it was recently on the uh, ACC network in honor of Vince's retirement because it was just such a a ridiculous highlight package for him and he wasn't even the the main course that we're talking about today yeah Ed, Ed, Ed threw him one back and I think I may have tweeted about it too as well we're driving down and Ed just kind of let him catch up a little bit and kicked it back and then Vince took a dribble and off two feet and Maddox Michael Maddox decided that he was going to which is what I probably did most of the time in practice <laughs> acting like you were really going for it not really going for it kind of thing and yeah it's a pseudo business decision yeah, that was another incredible on the break. And then the pass over the top from Ed that got over Spivey's hand and Vince dunked that one. I mean, there was a lot of plays um, in that game just made to say, wow. And, um, you know, obviously at the time, I probably took all that for granted to a certain degree. <laughs> Going back and looking at it now, you're just like, man, that was part of something really special, a small part of really something special. So, 
Well, we appreciate you being a part of this episode today. Uh, it was fun to look back at this and talk about it with you, you know, again, especially since it was such a statistic, statistical smorgasbord, if I could say that. I want to try to say it five times real fast, but there was a, a lot of bodies caught and a lot of souls snatched in this game. But, you know, in the end, uh, a 2 OT, 108 to 100 game in the Thriller Dome. Michael Brooker, appreciate you joining us here on episode 12 of The Throwback. Uh, folks, if you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to give us a review. If you haven't liked it, uh, be sure to shoot us an email or a message on the Inside Carolina Premium Message Board to let us know what we could have done better. We want to make sure we're putting out good content for you. I want to give a big shout out to our guest, Michael Brooker, who you just heard from, John Siegley, Sherelle McMillan for our panel. Uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I want to thank Johnny T-Shirt for the continued support. Check them out, johnnytshirt.com. And if you are not, uh, be sure you can watch these on YouTube. Uh, subscribe on Inside Carolina to the Inside Carolina Premium Message Boards, and you can get that 10% to use at Johnny T-Shirt. But if not, we appreciate you consuming this show, taking us in and, and bringing us along the ride. And we hope that you'll continue to keep your eyes out for, for more Inside Carolina content, Inside Carolina podcasts here in the future. But for Michael Brooker, I'm Joey Powell. This has been episode 12 of The Throwback. We will catch you guys sometime down the road. Late. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by johnnytshirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner I. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. What'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.